Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them, and I'm so, so, so excited about our guest today, who's giggling at me right now. Um, I have known this person probably for six or seven years, maybe even longer, um, and the first time I ever performed on a main stage was with this person, and we'll talk more about that story in a minute, but I'm so excited to introduce TJ Mannix, pronouns he, him. Hi, TJ. Hello, Dubs. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Why Why are you nervous? Because uh, you come out like over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like oh, I feel like the first time I really like started to be out on social media was when I did. Thank you for coming out. When when we you know when that started. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Even before there. I was, was always like a little that. subtle. Okay. Coded language. Code switch. Oh, okay. Um, I can't imagine you being subtle. Oh, <laughs> oh I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You mean today. that in so many ways, <laughs> and I know that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you you took the words right out of my mouth. We have multiple coming out stories, um, and so I would love to hear one of yours. Sure. Uh, wow. Well, uh, growing up, I uh, I mean, I grew up in a super Catholic family. Um, we were in a, a huge Catholic parish, like the biggest one east of the Mississippi. And uh, luckily, it wasn't a fire and brimstone kind of church. Like, for some reason, I felt like I liked it. I really liked it there. And they were very family-oriented. And they served donuts after the family mess. Ooh. And that still, to this day, is like, that's like church for me, donuts. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I grew up kind of in the shadow of, like, super overachiever brother and sister, and, uh, you know, kind of, there was a point where they, uh, my brother was like senior class president and captain of the soccer team and kicker for the football team. And my sister was student council president and this and that. And I was like in eighth grade and 13 of us ran for 12 spots in student council. And I got 13th. Mm. Like that was kind of my, that was middle school. Um, and I never really, I never really asked anybody out. I dated a couple of girls in high school who asked me out. Uh, <laughs> their names were Robin and Rabina. Um, Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rabina asked me out with a folded up note, like one of those origami things of like, are we going out? And then Robin, I remember, were coming back from a party and her parents were driving us and she spelled it out in my hand, are we going out? I'm like, what do you do? So I said yes. Yeah. And wow. we, I, she was, she, uh, I remember getting a detention for making out with her in the hallway and I was like, this is the best relationship ever because I didn't have to worry about anything and I now had street cred mm-hmm. from making out with a girl and getting in trouble for it. Yeah. Um, and then even in college, I still didn't ask anybody out and I, I dated a, 
awesome girl who was smart and funny and cool. And I realized she reminded me a lot of my mom, mm. which is really weird. That's right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this was kind of the, the big turning point was she, um, <laughs> she got a makeover from the girl one of my best friends, I gave this girl a condom the night that she lost her virginity to a guy that I had a crush on. Mm. Yeah. Um, she gave my girlfriend a makeover. She showed up at my dorm room and like with lingerie under a trench coat kind of deal and wow. like a margarita glass filled with chocolate-covered strawberries and, uh, and said, you know, like kind of tonight you're mine. Like I know you don't have any classes tomorrow. I don't. So we kind of sat on the beanbag and made out. And ate chocolate-covered strawberries out of a margarita glass. And she took out a blanket and said, we're going to the beach, which in Miami was like, that means it's time for me to exchange my virginity for your virginity because mm. I was still a virgin. And uh, I was like, I remember looking and going like, okay, uh, I guess this is going to happen. And we we got down to my car and my car had been towed. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now I can look back on it. like, But I remember looking up to the sky and going... Okay, I get it. <laughs> you have a sense of humor. Um, and we came back and we never, the relationship never really recovered because I think I really leaned into the anger about the car so mm. that I didn't have to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then down in Miami, that's I kind of realized uh, instead of sitting around waiting for women to ask me out, what I really wanted to do was sit around and wait for guys to ask me out. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what happened. And I, uh, I dated a little bit. Miami Beach was where I lived was pretty, uh, was kind of fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was kind of subtle. The guy with the 80s mustache sitting, nursing a beer at a nightclub in South Beach before it was South Beach. And uh, people would, every week somebody would ask me what precinct I worked at. Because mm. I'm, yeah, socially, I just observed, you know. For me, I'd go there and just take everything in and just be like, this exists. Yeah. We didn't have this in Boca Raton, Florida. Like this is, this is real. This is happening. And, um, uh, and yeah. And then, uh, so that's, that, that, that was kind of the pivotal moment, I think, because I also realized I didn't want to, uh, if you were, <laughs> if you were kind of closeted and you were dating women and you didn't pressure them for sex, then they immediately knew that they were in love with you and you respected them tremendously and you were the one. And I started to realize that and was like, oh, damn, this is not, this is not good. Because mm -hmm. it, I just realized that, you know, I, there's no such thing as a straight guy who waits. <laughs> <laughs> Bumper sticker. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's true, if that's a real blanket statement. Anyways, keep I, going. It could be. Yeah. It could be. But I knew that like every girl I dated was like, oh, he's not pressuring me into sex. Therefore, yeah, this is love. Um, yeah. And I also, uh, uh, I mean, I think I, I, I was, became like golden boy. Like I was Mr. Overachiever. So I didn't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. So I like, you know, came out of high school with like a four page resume of like clubs and activities. Cause I could do all that stuff and I had an excuse for not dating. Um, and then I was president of my fraternity in college when I was a sophomore, which was weird cause you're not supposed to do that till you're a senior. And so I was, and I ran for president of student government like it, it, when I was a freshman. Like I was just this weird, overachieving 
kid who would do channel all of that energy into, you know, if I won an award, then I didn't have to worry about not having self-esteem. So, um, did you win president? I didn't. The guy that won rented like a $10,000 hot air balloon. Mm. And I, we ran in like, I think maybe we got t-shirts and that was like a hundred something dollars. But it was ridiculous. Like the, the, the newspaper at University of Miami was like, who's behind him? Who's the mystery man? Who is this puppet? Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just a, a kid with an out-of-control ego who thought that you shouldn't have an election without someone else running. Mm. And nobody else ran. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll run. Nice. Yeah. My, <laughs> I remember uh, having a debate. And I looked around the room and I, I saw it like this guy was in a suit. And I was in a UM sweatshirt. And I remember looking around the room and I said, okay, before we start, uh, if you're running, can I just ask everyone in the room to stand up? If you're running for office, sit down. If you're currently on student government, sit down. If you're dating someone in student government or working on a campaign, sit down. And there was only one person left in the audience. And I said, well, you all know where I stand. I'd be happy to buy you a coffee and talk about it, but I don't think we need to do this. And I walked away. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it was a it was a it was a really interesting change when I started to uh, take care of myself for the first time, rather than taking care of the rest of the world and trying to uh, be, uh, you know, the, the the alpha male award winner. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's weird. I haven't really talked about that before. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, coming out as an egomaniac. <laughs> yeah. Um. I think we all have our ways of like hiding and numbing those scary feelings of, you know, being in the closet and not wanting to deal with reality of like what life would look like if we came out. So, yeah. Well, so many of my friends back then, because I was in school, uh, I, I told, I, I mentioned that I would be your first senior (laughs) coming out guest. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, I was in, in, do the math. I was in college in the late eighties and, uh, people that were in the closet back then, you either became a drug addict or an alcoholic or you killed yourself or, uh, you went full on into another direction, whether you, you know, uh, drag was a little different back then or, you know, I, I, I was really happy that I was self-aware enough that I, finally dealt with it because if I didn't deal with it or a lot of people got married back then and had like some very successful I'm sure but others had really abusive and nasty relationships because they married a woman because they were supposed to Mm -hmm. Um, I can't really speak from the rest of the uh, queer perspective especially back then I mean there was no internet there were no role models there was Billy Crystal played Jody on Soap sitcom a hundred years ago and uh it was right after three's company Mm. and i had to go to bed but i remember i would wake up and i would stand in the hallway and hug the hug the wall and listen to soap and i didn't know why i did it but i remember i would listen to it and i would hear about this character who was gay and i didn't know what everything meant but i knew that i was going to skip that hour of sleep and whenever anybody got up or anything i would run back into bed Mm. um and other than that, it was like center squares on Hollywood squares were the only gay people I ever knew. 
Paul Lind and Jim J. Bullock, none of which I really relate to. So I had nobody. I still, in my high school, we had 700 students in my graduating class, and even after high school reunions, I'm still the only person I know in the entire class that's out. Like currently? Yeah. Oh, wow. Even all these years later. I don't know what, the, where, how. <laughs> but yeah, statistically, yeah. that's just not. Yeah. That's. But, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely a different time and uh, literally th- like not even a chat room. There was nothing. There was zero information. And back then, the only way we got information was by uh, if, if, God forbid, somebody came over and hit on me at a bar, and if I went home with them, I pitied them because not, well, we would have a good time, but also <laughs> I'd keep them up until four in the morning going, when did you know? How did you know? What yeah. did you know? And I, I would interrogate them. And that's the only way I got any information and knew there was anybody else. You know, it was so incredibly lonely back then. I mean, yeah. it, there was nothing. They didn't even have a gay-straight alliance until uh, the year after I graduated from college. There was not even a gay group on campus. Hmm. There's nothing. Nothing. So then a Ring of Keys moment. Hmm. I'm hmm. thinking, like, I wonder, like, if you have one that maybe at the moment you didn't realize was what was happening, but looking back, being like, oh... Like maybe this hmm. bo- maybe Billy Crystal on soap, which by the way, how was that received? Like, was this a positive character on the show? I was, Are I you- was, I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how it was received because I didn't, you know, unless I had a, unless I had a subscription to a newspaper, mm. there was no way to get news except for All watching right. the three networks: <laughs> right. ABC, NBC, CBS. This is before Fox. Even there was nothing, no cable, no internet. No cell phones, nada. You couldn't even call anybody because you needed to kind of get permission to use the one phone in the house. I like can't, can't comprehend. No, I know. Your, br- I, <laughs> my, your brain is literally is. pulsing it outside is. of your headphones. My headphones hurt. Um, yeah, not to, uh, not to, it's not to play victim, I think. If anything, that's why there was such, when you found your tribe, mm-hmm. there was such a tremendous connection. And why, <clears throat> why uh, there was, why pride was so life or death. So you know, some people can. And I can't. I can't comment on what it is to come out today. Mm-hmm. You know, I have uh, really good friends of my family, uh, really good friends of mine, a girl I've known for years. Her oldest son came out and he's in middle school and I, I, like I didn't come out until I was 28, 29. I mean, I kind of, you know, you come out, there are all these different stages. I came out to myself, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think then coming out to another person who's gay, then maybe coming out to a stranger, then maybe coming out to a friend. And I had two friends, one from high school and college, both who were furious with me for not trusting them enough. And I was like, you don't understand. I had to go through this journey on my own first before yeah. I could come out to you. Mm-hmm. But thanks for making it about you. Right. Um, and then, you know, I, my, my brother was a, a super Reagan conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, grew up chewing tobacco. 
Uh, yeah, I tried so hard to be cool. He, the one time he let me chew tobacco, I threw up all over someone's sidewalk and it was like still stained when I graduated from high school. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) my shame. Uh, but my brother married into a family. His, my sister-in-law has a sister who's been in a relationship for years and years and years with a woman. And I remember meeting them at the wedding and I still wasn't out to my family. And... At one point, I called her, and I was like, hey. She was like, hey. <laughs> we hadn't seen each other since the wedding. And I said, so uh, our families have a lot more in common than you think. And she said, uh-huh. I said, so yeah. And she said, uh-huh. She said, I'm not going to say it. Mm. And so I had to – I came out to her as this – she was wonderful. I mean, she's phenomenal. Her name's Marty. We just fixed a broken refrigerator a weekend ago together. Like, she's <laughs> amazing. And um, she told me, she said, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, your your brother has – my sister-in-law basically made it really clear, we're not getting married if you can't love my family. Mm. So my sister, sister-in-law, sister Carrie, was a rock star in that respect. And um, – yeah, and then so I, I finally called them. It was like a year later. <laughs> hmm, totally. And apparently uh, Marty had called them and said, hey, did you hear from TJ? And they were like, what? Hmm. <laughs> she said, oh, uh, nothing, never mind. Because <laughs> it had been six months and I said I was going to call them and I hadn't. So when I finally called, my brother was really great about it and said, you know, look, if there's anything you need to say, just say it. We know we love you. <laughs> yeah. So I never thought I would come out to my conservative brother first. Mm-hmm. And then my sister was furious with me because I came out to him first. <laughs> she <Yeah>. was <laughs> so pissed off. Um, and uh, she, of course, was fantastic about it and still is. And, uh, and then I knew I had to uh, come out to my parents. And I kind of I moved back in with them for a couple of years. And every day I tried to tell them every day. Today's I remember the day. Yeah, I was like, today, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to say. And I'd go to bed so disappointed every day. And uh, I remember telling them once, like, uh, <laughs> hey, you know that uh, that Greg Luganis novel, that that book he wrote? Uh, don't worry about buying it. I'll probably buy it. Like, that was my way of, like, <laughs> trying to get across. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, yeah, keep in mind, before the internet, <laughs> I still don't know what that means. <laughs> I grew up without the internet. Let's get the let's really just say really that. did you really? I th- I think I was like twelve when I got the internet. Really? That's not. Yeah, I mean, let's not compare. But I, mean, I, I there didn't were even definitely, have cable. <laughs> okay, all right. Keep going. I interrupted you with my annoyingness. No, there's nothing annoying about it. <laughs> no, I'm trying. That's that's me trying to out victim you mm. electronically. I mean, you win regardless. Yeah, but anybody who came up before me wins. Yeah. You know. There, were, there weren't televisions. Right. That's true. You'd listen to the radio for like desperately lisp, lis- listening for a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, uh, so, yeah, I finally did. And I, 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 when I talked to my dad, uh, he asked me, oh. which shocked the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I remember I waited like 20 minutes before I answered, which was probably like three seconds. But yeah. in my mind, time slowed down. And I was, I was like, 
He said, he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, do you want to ask me the question? And he said, no, this is serious. <laughs> <laughs> and he asked, he just said, are you gay? And I said, again, in 20 minutes of my mind, but mm-hmm. I said yes. And he said, um, I, don't know if I, should, I don't know if this is too personal to share or not, but you know what? It's half my story, half his story. So, but the first thing he said was, uh, I don't think it's fair to allow people that love you to say things that hurt you. Hmm. So he was so self-aware and had gone through this entire process of figuring all this out. Um, he also said, I, I don't think you need to leave the church. Hmm. And I was like, well, statistically. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I don't think he at all wanted to hear my comments on gay priests. But, uh, um, but you know, if you back then, before the Internet, hmm. if you had the opportunity to... Uh, if you didn't get married, everybody was disappointed in you, especially big Irish and Italian Catholic families. But if you were the one who gave up women to marry the church, then you were a better child than all the rest of them. And becoming a priest meant you were the best child and everybody else was nothing in comparison because you had sacrificed women. Mm-hmm. And then you got to live in a place with all men and you got to perform all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I debated it. I really did. I really did debate, you know. I think every, probably every gay kid debates becoming a priest at some point, unless, uh, unless they're Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, can't speak to that. I don't remember wanting to be a priest and or a rabbi. No. 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 Yeah. Well. But I'm one Jew. Yeah. I'm, I'm but one person. Yeah. And I've. Uh, I've only I've only played half Jewish in falsettos. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to. Um, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, I don't even remember what I said, but um, yeah. me neither. But I took notes. No, I'm kidding. I remember. Um, no, you did take notes. Something that that stuck out to me. A lot of things did, but I want to. You were talking about how like your car got towed, and you yeah. were like, that was like such a moment for oh, you. Yeah. There was a time, this wasn't, I was, I think I was a junior in high school and um, it wasn't for sex purposes, but it was for making out purposes mm-hmm. with this person that I was dating. And I had my eyebrow pierced at the time and <laughs> it was super cool. And I guess I must've been a senior at that point. Actually, it doesn't matter. Um, and we were in the, I always drove and we were in the front and he was in the front seat. Yeah. And we were in the driveway and we were saying bye to each other. And he leaned in to kiss me and I really didn't want to. And all of a sudden I felt like a warm sensation dripping down my face. And I was like, wait a minute. And I like looked and my eyebrow ring was bleeding and it wasn't a new piercing. It just started bleeding and it had never bled before and it (laughs) never bled since. (laughs) And it was just one of those moments where I was like, Hashem, God, like, thank you. Like, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought maybe, I thought, I thought, like, his braces got caught on it. Oh, but God, like, it no, literally no, no. just started to bleed. Yeah, just, like, miraculously. Yeah, we're high-fiving. We're high-fiving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I've, I don't, I'm still trying to figure out if I believe in coincidences or mm-hmm. if I believe, like, things are meant to be as they should. I think I'm, I'm more in that of like the universe tends to unfold as it should. And like in that moment, it was supposed to bleed and your car was meant to get towed. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I have a, uh, I have a great wallet at home that I keep my gold card in. Mm. Gold card gay. 
Yeah, I'm not that at all. Shame. I know. I had lots of encounters with people. Yep. Uh, because once I came out, I didn't want to deal with actually being out. Yeah. And so I had sex with lots of people to like, yeah. to keep hitting the microphone. I, I to was negate convinced. negate it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I mean, I made out a lot. Mm-hmm. Got really good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, ah, what was I going to say? Totally lost it. Because I suddenly was, because I suddenly looking across here at my friend talking about about them having sex. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know that we've ever <laughs> talked about that, TJ. <laughs> Good point. Um, you uh, all are part of this intimate conversation yeah. we are now having. Oh, wait, is this being recorded? <laughs> right. By the way, lots of people are going to hear this. What did, oh, shoot, what was I just going to, something about what you were talking about, and I, I totally lost my train of thought. This is what happens when you have, no uh, internet? When you, no, when you have someone on your show who's uh, older than you. Uh, I was going to make a joke, but I'm not going to. Uh, I was talking about (laughs) um, not wanting to deal with being out and um, having sex with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about you got really good at making out. Mm -hmm. You know what? What I was going to say came back to me. And then you said sex again, and it just went away. Oh, good. Well, let's keep moving. And then if it comes back to you, just Did I mention that I was brought up super Catholic? Yes. Wow. So much guilt. Yeah. Yeah. uh, you had guilt or geld. I had, I had one of the two. Nice. I had the other. Mm-hmm. No, you had, <laughs> well, actually, you, you I had, had guilt. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, I had, absolutely um, had both. Uh, damn it. What was I going to uh, Well, you, you were talking, before you mentioned, uh, you were talking about uh, uh, avoiding. And, uh, uh, wow. What I, well, because, of course, I avoided by doing all the overachievement stuff. And then... I avoided it. I think I avoided it by just taking care of everybody else. Mm-hmm. I was just always constantly taking care of everybody around me. And I, uh, uh, to the extent of, I remember coming up with the term energy vampire to myself a long time before it was in title of show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and finally being, being on a, a, a call with somebody who was talking about their problem that was totally self-inflicted. And then I I gave advice. And then they started to say the same story over again. And I said, I just, I just, I I just gave you my information. I feel like you called to get my point of view and then you ignored it. So um, I wish you well, but we're not going to talk about this anymore. Bye. Mm. And I hung up. Wow. And it was like the first time that I felt like I actually realized that I deserve to have a symbiotic relationship that I didn't I don't I don't have enough time on this planet to spend time with people who don't want to give back mm-hmm. you know and so yeah. now I have awesome relationships with people who I love and I get so much from them He's even though at they're me, not <laughs> I, I, yeah and uh, yeah there's no I think that was a huge moment for me in terms of finally being able to be out was just to like stop worrying about taking care of everybody else and finally take care of myself and realize that I could be surrounded by awesome people who care about me as much as I care about them Mm -hmm. and uh and actually uh take care of myself you know the idea of you have to put your own oxygen mask on before you put on somebody else's on the plane yes and if you're a lifeguard you don't go out there without 
taking care of yourself because somebody will pull you under. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like there were a lot of people that tried to pull me under early on. And it wasn't until I finally was like, oh, wait, I'm actually worthy of this. Yeah. That I said, done. Find, find, find someone wonderfully codependent, but it's not going to be me. Yeah. It's wild to think about how those, how things shift of how we think about taking care of ourselves and the timelines for that. So for you, like from coming out, how long do you think it took for you to be able to practice self-care in that way? Wow. I've never thought about this, uh, in that way before. Um, I think for me, it happened around the same time that I, I think it was, it was, I always felt like the, 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 the sports metaphor, the goalpost was, uh, uh, coming out to my parents. And mm-hmm. once that happened, who cared? Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of felt like my mom would always end up on like Oprah or something, but, um, coming out to your religious parents, you know, before the internet, <laughs> 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 um, uh, was, so terrifying. And I think once I finally came out to my parents, then nobody else, then it didn't matter what anybody else thought because the people that were the most important to me, my family, my immediate family, they love me. So anybody else who doesn't clearly has a problem. Mm -hmm. It's their problem. It's not my problem. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't deserve to be treated poorly. You know, mm-hmm. and I still give, I give way too much. I still, I still, I, that's me. That's, I love that. I love to be able to lift other people up whenever I can. But I, when it comes to my personal relationships, if I'm going to spend time with somebody, it's because we support each other, not because they're getting something from me. And I try not to be a leech and do that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Speaking of leeches. <laughs> no, being giving. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about improv. Um, my favorite TJ memory, one of my favorite, I have many, but it was so I alluded to this, alluded to this earlier of the first time ever performing on a main stage. So before Thank You for Coming Out, there was a show called There's No Place Like Home. The old white guy show. Yes, the old white guy show. Uh, and then every once in a while they had lesbos like me on i don't know i just i love that word so much and it's i i use it very endearingly i love it i know that some people really don't like that word but i to me it's an term of endearment yeah like Uh, and i'm also talking about i like the word broad (laughs) okay but i don't want to offend anybody and i can't say lesbo yeah i just i just said it well you're talking about me and i it's fine Mm -hmm. uh anyways sometimes they invited lesbos on the show me included (laughs) and so it was my first time ever on a main stage at the Magnet Theater, and I was so nervous, and I was hugging the wall, and I just remember, you've heard me tell the story a million times, but I love it, and you pulled me out of off the wall, and you literally made me look like a rock star. I don't remember how long or what the scene was about or anything like that, but I felt so held and so empowered and special, um, and I never have forgotten forgotten that moment. And and then afterwards we went to Walters and you bought me a beer and we were and you were just like made me feel so comfortable and welcome and part of the community. And I, I really truly think that 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 act of kindness and that um, the time that you invested in just having a conversation with me has has helped me shape what thank you for coming out 
is and how it started as a show. And I'm going to start crying. And like building that space for people to feel like they belong. And I really got that from you in that moment. And I'm just very appreciative. And so even I just thank you for giving so much because I have received and it has been life changing. So it's a good thing. This isn't on video. (laughs) (laughs) Both of us. Uh, I'm, I, I currently have my fist against my against my chest because I learned early on not to clutch my pearls for some reason. Oh my goodness. So I'm holding on. <laughs> oh, my hand is literally over my heart too because yeah. I'm just and I I feeling. love that I love that, but also that that um, that's the the best thing that could possibly happen because you have created this wonderful thing that has a life of its own, and um, and I love uh, that. I had the tiniest shred of anything to do with that and makes me so proud and uh, I love being a part of it. And I've told people before, uh, I've been improvising 22 years and I improvise all over the world and the my favorite show is Thank You For Coming Out because it was the first time I ever got to play at the top of my intelligence. Mm. And for those who aren't improvisers, one of the things about that aside from saying yes is that you play at the top of your intelligence. Don't play stupid. And it was the first time I was ever able to do something where I could say something honest and not have the gay character be the joke. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, to be able to play multi-layered, fascinating, political, interesting, uh, uh, real, honest moments with people and and the occasional fart joke. But you know mm. what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that without that show. And it's uh, – I've seen it change and affect so many people so many performers so many audience members and uh you know i came up through this uh back in the old days at the ucb when i was on one of the first herald teams i think pretty sure i was the only person that was out and this Mm -hmm. is before other people came in and there were still all sorts of fag jokes happening on stage and uh back then you just took it because there was no other option because there was nobody else and I wasn't out. So I wasn't like really setting an example or telling people not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, you just, you learn to just put up with it and, uh, and to, to see a, to see performers now that come in and that are like proudly open and, um, and and out and empowered and uh, able to do their best work because they don't feel uh, shunned or penned in or oppressed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is amazing. Is amazing, and it's it's been incredible over the last couple of decades watching that change. Yeah, and, yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Um. How did you know that improv existed without the internet? <laughs> uh, you know what, though? The first thing that happened, because my friend Derek, uh, my friend Derek had the internet before I did. And I remember we went into AOL chat room. <laughs> and I was like, wait, there's other people in North Carolina? What? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I actually, I... I, when I came to New York, I lied and said I had improv experience 
and got a job at the Jekyll and Hyde Club in mm. Midtown mm-hmm. doing improv eight hours a day. Uh, and I remember thinking like, uh, well, if it's improv, then I don't have to prepare anything for the audition, so I'll just go because it's improvised, so I'll just improvise it. And they hired me, and I ended up doing <laughs> it for years. I had a great time. And then I then I started at UCB and then uh, and had a great time with that, working with good people, Armando Diaz and Amy and Matt and Ian and the other one. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember. No, it's okay. Let's skip it. And uh, yeah, and then at the uh, Magnet when Armando opened that. Um, yeah. That's cool. Um, I was going to... Uh, this is weird. For some reason, something just came up to me about um, back when I back when I was in college, um, and I was still my first year or so. I was still just being involved in everything and like trying to like you know instead of self esteem again try to just get stuff and win stuff and like develop an identity that luckily had enough in it that I it didn't have to have a personal life. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back to I remember um, I would always bartend at all the fraternity parties and mixers. Because if I was behind the bar, then I could just, like flirt, do whatever, but I never had to follow up. Mm-hmm. I never had to, you know, dance with the sorority girls. I never had to do anything. And I was always the one that was like, oh, that, what a great guy. I can't believe he's given up on the chance to dance with these sorority girls to stay behind the bar. Um, and the, th- the other thing that really bugged me was, we used to have um, competitions every year, like homecoming and Greek week and stuff. And I remember that I always had to volunteer to be on the committee or to run the blood drive because I wasn't allowed to give blood. And mm. if and the fraternity was competing, everybody had to give blood. And I remember, and I'm sure it was the same for anybody back at that time who was gay, if you're gay, you weren't allowed to give blood. It's, it's a gay... Haitian drug addict. Those were the three things I think the Red Cross nicely put together as if those were all bad things. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I wasn't allowed to give blood. It was illegal for me to give blood. But no one, no one knew. So no one knew why you were. The thing was, giving- you could give blood, and eventually they said you could tell them not to use it. Mm. But like, so for me to like give a pint of my blood so that we could win a competition. You know, and uh, the the thing is, if I didn't give blood, then you basically are outing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was so crazy that those rules. And I remember back then in college, just that that I, that's why I always tried to run things, because if I ran it, I could be too busy to give blood mm-hmm. or I didn't count in the numbers. But man, I wonder how many people back then had to give blood and you know, who knew? Yeah. Yeah. But that was one of those things, you know? I mean, the the day that I was no longer president of the fraternity was the first day I went to a gay bar in Miami. Mm. And that was also a big moment. I remember driving around Uncle Charlie's in Miami. I drove around it for about 45 minutes in my car. Was that the name of the bar? Uncle Charlie's, yep. Drove around it, drove around it, and then finally I found a parking space and I remember sitting in my car forever because if I if I ever saw headlights, I ducked down and like laid down on the front seat because I was so terrified of being seen mm-hmm. going into a bar. And um, 
walking up the block took me forever because I was literally, I was hiding behind trees and stuff. So I was so terrified that somebody would see me and it would ruin my life. Huh. And I remember uh, going up and going, like running across the parking lot to get into the bar. And the bartender was like, come on in. Like they didn't check ID back then, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I walked in and there were hundreds of people and they were all happy. And they were dancing and smiling and enjoying themselves. And it was it, it felt like... A, to bring in a super stereotypical gay moment, it was very Dorothy opens the door and everything's suddenly in color. Mm. Uh, and I remember just sitting against the wall and just taking it all in for the longest time and just like, oh my God, this is real. Wow. You know, and realizing like there's so many people here mm-hmm. after being the only one for so long. And uh, I walked around the bar and I, I saw at a table my big brother in my fraternity was sitting there with the dean of students. No way. <laughs> and and uh, both of them, both of them immediately tried to pretend they weren't there. The dean of students ducked, un- <laughs> ducked under the table when he saw me coming. Oh, my goodness. And because uh, well, there was so much shame and there's yeah. so much. It's such a different world now. Yeah. But and I remember going over and I don't know how I did this, but I went over and I remember it like knocking on the table and just saying, look, we're all here. So suddenly on that walk from the parking lot to that table, I suddenly uh, developed a sense of self. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I remember that. And um, yeah, my, my, uh, my freshman year, uh, when I was still, I, I would go to a bar that was like an hour away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember meeting somebody and finding out they only knew one person at the entire university. And it was my big brother. So when I was a freshman, I found out my big brother was gay. Mm. not my brother my big brother in the fraternity the person that comes in and kind of like looks after you sort of a mentor yeah yeah all jokes aside about internet Mm -hmm. I just can't so I talk I when I think about growing up like there were tv shows and there were there was gay representation on tv it wasn't always the most positive Mm -hmm. um and there were you know, there were a few out people here and there and that felt lonely. I, I just can't wrap my, my mind around how lonely it must have been to really just not even have any kind of inkling or knowing that people were like you. And then I just, I keep picturing you opening the door and like it becoming Technicolor Mm -hmm. and like what that feeling must have been. And there's like euphoria. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah I totally. It, Pro- I probably think, life-changing. I think it was like uh trying to swim across the ocean and so many people die before they get to that point. Mhm. You know? Yeah. Or they just stop on, you know, married island. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um Yeah, that was um Yeah, that's pretty it was pretty life-changing. Um, it, um, I mean, a huge, a huge, uh, moment for me, I think was in, gosh, I can't remember when it was the real world, when the real world came out on MTV, Mm -hmm. uh, Norm was one of the guys and he was, they barely mentioned it, but he was openly gay. And then eventually they, you know, and he was one of the first people you ever saw. 
And then Pedro Zamora in the third season. San Francisco, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he was the most visible gay person ever mm-hmm. at that point. You know, and the fact that he was, and he was also, he was Cuban, and I was living in Miami, which has a strong Cuban community, and I just remember being, oh, it was so, it, he was, it was so amazing that he existed, mm-hmm. and then so devastating uh, when he died of, uh, of HIV-related, or AIDS-related causes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also, I, I, I mean, I grew up at a time where with, with no information, right. uh, all you knew was the president didn't mention it, Reagan. They rarely mentioned anything. It's not like they were going to mention it in a lifestyle section in the news. Mm-hmm. So all you knew was uh, gay equals death. Mm-hmm. And that's also, um, that's also why I know we lost so many people my age to, you know, at their own hand. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the gay community has always been uh, something that was passed on from generation to generation. You know, you would... There's a, there's a phrase that I think resonated with me early on that said, um, you know, usually if you're in an Italian family... Your parents are Italian. You grew up being Italian. You know what that is. You know, if you're Catholic, you grow up knowing what Catholicism is. You know, if you're black, you grow up knowing what that community is and knowing what what traditions and knowing things. But mm-hmm. but all gay people are orphans mm. because at that point there were no other options. You were born to straight parents, so you grow up as other and with no with no information. Yeah. And nothing there to tell you you're not alone and that you're okay. And because it was again a different time. Um, and then the generation right before mine got wiped out, just decimated. Um, so I'm from a generation that lost its guidance. Yeah. We didn't have those people to tell us. So we're I'm in this weird generation, this weird pre pre-internet generation hmm. that also lost its guides, that lost its spiritual people, that lost its um people who date somebody 10 years younger and then try to teach them everything. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh so yeah, I think uh it was, th- th- there's a lot of reasons why it was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, because you were told, you know, you're, you're worthless and awful and you're going to die. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I even had, I had a situation at a bar in Miami where the police came, raided the place and pulled us all out in front, right on the main drag down in Miami and cars were going by and they were harassing us and like making everybody stand there and put spotlights on us. And, um, you know, they had their nightsticks out. Like you, it, it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. It was dangerous. It was, you know, and to, to somehow get through that with some self-esteem can be kind of a miracle. Yeah. So, 
uh, yeah. So I think that there's a uh, uh, there is an inherent strength that comes with the survivors, whether you survive growing up in a small town in Texas, uh, whether you started your gay straight alliance at your middle school, whether you, there are people that have learned to stand up for themselves and to be strong, you know, even with the internet, you still need that. Mm, Absolutely. Wow. Did I get deep? You did, but I, I, <laughs> I'm glad you did because it's these. It's important to know and important to learn and to hear and um, for my generation not to take for granted what your generation. Are we different generations? How does that work? Yeah. Okay. Uh, to we take might for be granted. two generations <laughs> apart. I don't know. I just look really good. You can't tell on radio, right, on the podcast, but God, I look so young. But you just outed yourself because you said radio, so. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks like this is a radio setup. Totally, totally, Um, totally. Um, (laughs) So now that you have the internet and TV. I still don't. Oh, well, then never mind. Uh, Do you have. This is my flip phone. (laughs) um, Do you have like a favorite queer media representation right now? Mm, wow. Is that the question that you ask me when we run out of things to talk about? Uh, we have not run out of things to talk about. It just, <laughs> it just um, uh, wow. fit in. Just um, felt right. My favorite queer representation. Gosh. <sighs> um, you know, if, if you're talking about in the media, mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um. I I grew and learned a ton from you. Mm. Wow. It was the nice. first time uh uh cuz I remember the first time that I was trying to f- trying to deal with pronouns. Mm-hmm. And and I think prior to knowing you and knowing putting a pronoun to a face. Mhm. Uh, I'm sure I may have casually joked about it. Hmm. And, and I remember thinking in my brain, I'm like, well, this is hard. This is, doesn't, this, this is grammatically incorrect. And, and having all these reasons why it was weird for me. And, uh, and I had a, I had a tiny little journey I had to go on. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is, I have the brain of the straight people a generation ahead of me that just couldn't comprehend that gay people existed and would joke about it and make fun of it and say that it, it's, it's inconsequential and it's bullshit and, uh, and, and there's something wrong with them. And I remember at that point thinking, oh, that's what it would feel like to be what someone calls intolerant. And that's what it would feel like to be ignorant. And that's what it would feel like to still think you're a good person. Um, But I had to, uh, for me, learning, learning 
how to make sure that I didn't misgender somebody and learning that someone's pronouns were important and a big part of your, of, of someone's identity. Um, I had to learn that. And I always thought, oh, I'm a good person. I'm liberal. I'm out there. I'm great. I'm doing whatever I can. I'm a great guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, damn, I'm intolerant. I'm that guy. And now, you know, I was just down in Providence, Rhode Island, in Washington, D.C., teaching workshops. And I always start my workshops asking everybody. I always share my pronouns, and I'll ask everybody if, if they want to share theirs. Mm-hmm. And I teach in a musical theater conservatory, and I start every class asking if anybody wants to share theirs. And very, you know, occasionally people will, and other times people's eyes just light up because they're, yeah. they, they, they're like, oh, old guy, <laughs> respecting our generation, respecting us. And um, now it's not odd for me at all. It's, it's, it was a journey because now I see it as, I'm like, oh, shining a light on someone and saying, hey, everybody, whoever you all are, I respect you and I'm going to get that out of the way. And you don't have to say anything, but just knowing that the person that's in a position of power actually acknowledges that you exist and that's important should make it easier and hopefully will make it easier for you to just exist in this class and feel feel more comfortable and have one less thing in the way to keep you from being your best self. And I learned that from you. Thank you for telling that to me. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know that. Well, from you and, and from another, another good friend of mine in, in San Francisco. And um, yeah, but it was really interesting to find myself going, oh my God, I'm like this close to saying, get off my lawn. Like I <laughs> became that old guy. <laughs> and and it, was, uh, it was just interesting for me to look at the people that I have been, that I've demonized in the past. And I was like, oh, maybe they weren't awful. Maybe they were just old and ignorant and didn't know any better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or like me, young and ignorant. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm teasing. Thanks for, for sharing that because I want to say for me too also, the first time I learned that they, them pronouns were an option, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I also was like, that's, I would never use those pronouns. It's grammatically incorrect, even mm-hmm. though as we know now, it's absolutely grammatically correct. Um, <laughs> the dictionary says it, AP style guide, you know, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother podcast. But um, but I do, I, I did have, I want to say like years of moments being like, I wouldn't, I'm never going to change my pronouns to that because at that time it felt so other mm-hmm. and so like something I couldn't comprehend that I had very similar feelings of that. And it wasn't until like at Keshet where I work where we, and, and I, even, even after having top surgery and changing my name, I had um, a small hand, a handful of friends who would say, are there other pronouns that we can use for you? And I, which is so lovely and incredible and and also made me really uncomfortable because I hadn't dealt with that part of my identity yet. And mm-hmm. so... Yeah, you're not ready yet. Yeah, I wasn't... Yeah, yeah. exactly. I People wasn't that ready. get mad at you for not accepting... Like, why aren't you... 
why aren't you being 100% open with me and accepting yourself the yeah. way that I want you to accept yourself? Yeah. Oh, because it's your journey. Mm-hmm. Right. So go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but yeah, exactly. And and then it wasn't until I started working at Keshet where at the beginning of every meeting, folks shared their pronouns and I I met for the first time. This was January of 2017. So not even that long ago. The first time I ever met someone who used they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And no one batted an eye. Everyone just respected their pronouns and we got on with our meeting. And it was so cool to see that that representation piece, that visibility piece that you wouldn't know about because you don't have internet. But like, it's so (laughs) important. And I just, and and then I went on this like weekend retreat with a bunch of LGBTQ and ally Jewish teens. And the amount of teens who were just so confident using they, them pronouns and were just like, essentially like, go fuck yourself. Like, this is who I am. And I'm 15. I was in tears the entire weekend because I was so empowered and overwhelmed and excited and motivated to embrace all of the queer pieces of me and the Jewish pieces of me. And when I left that, that weekend in March of 2017, I started using they, them pronouns. And haven't gone back so it's been two and a half years since I've used them and but it it also was a journey for me too and just for everyone who's listening who you're worried you're going to misgender me or other folks who use other sets of pronouns or you know if someone switches binary pronouns which means going from he to she or she to he as long as you're trying that's what matters and mistakes happen. Like I accidentally misgender myself often. I don't know how, but it happens. Because um, we've all been socialized a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, but I think we all, we, we need to, there's so many other terrible things happening in this world right now that we need to, and it's so important to feel affirmed in who we are. And at the same time, we all need to be, I think, a little bit more gentle with ourselves and know that we are all on this journey and that it takes time and that we're in this together. Um, cause I feel like that's the only way we're going to be able to Are you like quoting high school musical. I've never seen that. So okay. maybe I'm just a genius. That's it's entirely true. <laughs> Wait, is that from that? It is. <laughs> it is? Which I, part? I, I only know that because. I'm flipping my hair. I only know that because I was in it, not because I watched it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, no, I did not know that, but cool. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, it's, we're all on, we're all on different journeys mm-hmm. And we just, I feel like we need to respect that for folks. Well, as a, uh, I, I often refer to myself as an old white dude mm-hmm. these days because I, I kind of consider that and somehow it's a bit derogatory right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am, I embrace that because I love calling out other old white dudes, mostly straight old white dudes for being old white dudes mm-hmm. in just their approach to the world. Um, and Right now, so many of them are so incredibly offended that they've been stereotyped. Yeah. And I try really hard not to laugh in their face because racism, sexism, homophobia, stereotypes, like, wow, the first time in your life someone lumped you in with somebody else. <laughs> right. And you're so sensitive yeah. that you're so offended. And uh, yeah. Um, you, at the start of every uh, warm up for Thank You for Coming Out, that's the first time I ever heard anybody 
say, please uh, share your pronouns if you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny because it's only the it's only the old white dudes that will make a crack about that the first time because they're uncomfortable. Yep. And I'm pretty sure I did the first time. I think you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I said, I don't know what I said, but I'm sure because I, 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 I was ignorant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. And I look at it now and I'm like, oh, that little joke is just so de- like it's demeaning and it's ignorant, you know, Yeah. because they don't know any better. Yep. Or they're assholes. I don't know. But usually yeah. I like to think they don't know any better. Yeah. But having now, this is one of the the first times I'm aware enough to know, oh, I'm totally being the old white dude mm-hmm. who was intolerant and didn't understand things and had to go on a learning curve and go through growth. And I was like, oh, this is so weird. I thought I was the one everybody had to learn about. <laughs> you mean I have to grow too? Ugh. Isn't that the worst where we it's all have to grow worst. and learn ugh. and like, ugh, God, yeah. so much work. Yeah. Just wish we were born to just like know everything already. Yeah. Well, at least I can still make fun of vegans. Oh my! Oh my gosh! There is a vegan restaurant by my apartment called Champs, and it is phenomenal. I'm getting a big head nod from Bobby. I had a cheeseburger and fries the other day, (gasps) vegan, obviously. It's one of the best burgers I've ever had. I had an Impossible Burger burger in San Francisco, and I was like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this, and it was even if it was just like scented. Even if it was just like a bottle of like odor scent that made it smell and taste like it, it had the texture of meat. And it was just, I was like, oh my God, I just had this. And it wasn't gross. Yeah. Although I refuse to try the one at Burger King. <laughs> Which I heard is very good. Really? I haven't had it, but I've heard it's good. So actually yeah. I'm going to try it. So yeah. I'll keep you posted. Well, a friend of, mine, friend of mine recently posted they were really disappointed because they put it on a salad. And I was like, that's not what it's for. No. It's a burger. Eat it with fries. Yes. Oh, oh, that's funny. Stop <laughs> Stop trying to make it something it's not. Right. <laughs> Are you quoting High School Musical? No. I don't know. I just <laughs> stop trying to make me something I'm not. And, and I, will, I will backtrack and say that uh, I have, I have, I'm totally ignorant about what, that's my ride. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> totally ignorant about how to make good vegetarian or vegan food, but I've had so much good food. Mm, mm-hmm. oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> um, speaking of not of nothing, New York Musical Improv Festival. Yeah. I want to hear about it. Oh. Uh, Tell us everything. You founded it 11 well, we, years ago? Yeah, 11 years ago. 11 and a half, yeah. Um, musical Improv was this new thing that started... Uh, where people would add uh, a keyboard and improvise songs and entire musicals on the spot. And it was terrifying. And uh, early on, a lot of people uh, in the improv community made fun of it. They were like, well, they're not real improvisers. Um, And we had started at Tara Copeland, who's this brilliant teacher and person and awesome bucket of love who's out in uh, L.A., Started this program and taught people how to do it. And uh, did she invent it? No, hmm. no, but pretty much, hmm. but probably not. But it probably gave people, yeah, for, for yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. Um, but we decided, I decided, well, we need to do a festival to celebrate this stuff and let's do it before somebody else does it and does a crappy job mm-hmm. or does it just to make money off of it. So we created this festival and 
Um, several people came on board, in particular Robin Rothman Taylor, who's my work wife, um, and and several other awesome people. And the Magnet gave it the go ahead, and we brought in all of these performers from all the theaters in New York, and. Um, celebrated this over two nights and then over the last 11 years we've seen so many people apply and like one year like one person will apply from Austin, Texas and they'll come here and they'll take workshops and see all the shows from all over the world and then three years later there's 10 groups applying Mm -hmm. because it's expanding all over the place and uh, we just had our 10th in in the fall of 2018 in October and it was a celebration of like we just said treat everybody like gold promote musical improv as a form promote uh, uh, you know like we didn't charge individuals for things we tried not to nickel and dime everybody we didn't really make much of a profit at all we just kept it going Mm -hmm. and uh, and we decided we needed six months off so we moved it to March (laughs) <laughs> uh, so the 11th annual is going to be in March of 2020, uh, from the 12th to the 15th at the Magnet, and there will be 200 plus performers coming in from all over the world. And you know, we've had people groups from Paris and from Poland, and um, watching it expand all over the place has been really cool because it was definitely a marginalized art form for a long time. Mm-hmm. I remember at the Magnet they. Uh, the first time they tried to put up the photos of the house teams for the musical teams and the people on the regular house teams were like, oh, are you kidding me? They're not improvisers. Why would you dare put them on the same wall as us? I would love to see them try to do musical improv. Yeah. So yeah. just want to put Well, that a lot of them did because <laughs> right. they realized, oh, you mean this is actually hard? Mm-hmm. Or and they tried incredible. it and failed or they mm-hmm. tried it and were awesome. Yeah. But now it's been embraced and now it's mm-hmm. a kind of part of the identity of that theater and it's been amazing over the 11 years to watch it expand all over the country and watch it grow every year and more people learning about it and more people getting good at it and more teachers and more programs. And, and as an art form, it's so cool to have been on the ground floor of it and watch it flourish. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, <laughs> weirdly, I don't know how I'd tie this in, but to be in a small town where there is no musical improv and you go to New York and there's all these musical improvisers and you found your tribe. Yeah. And you you go back and you start your own tribe. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah. I can't imagine this before the internet. I don't even know. <laughs> I, it just, I, I didn't know musical improv existed when I started doing improv in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And when I came to New York, my friend, my cousin introduced me to this person who was um, taking musical classes at the Magnet. And he was telling me, she didn't know it was musical either, but when he was talking to me about it, he was like, musical improv. I was like, what do you mean musical improv? And he's like, yeah, we, we like do scenes into song. Like, And he was like, imagine how like in when you're watching a musical, there's just so much energy and you just have to sing the next piece because you've, you can't speak it anymore. And I was like, I want to go to there. I, and so we went to his class show in the old, the old um, training center. Training center. Yep. Yeah. And I remember just being so blown away and um, signing up for musical improv classes. And yeah. I think that was like 2012. And uh, you, you have been my coach. Um, we performed together. I, you, you know, we were just in a show last week together. Mm-hmm. And I forgot, we haven't performed together in a while. And just being on stage with you was so calming and incredible. I just was just thinking about that now of 
of that, but do it more because I miss you. Um, well, I love that. I love that uh, initially they thought it was just this little elective and then it became a full program at the magnet and now it's a full program at the pit. And for years, UCB was like, ah, this is nothing. This is crap. And now they have a full program and now they have, they've gotten on board. They're really behind the curve. Yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that UCB had a full program. That's good to know. They have, uh, they have somebody over there who's teaching and they have house team, not house teams. They have certain teams that perform. Um, but it used to be banned. Like B-A-N-N-E-D? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they thought they thought that uh, that's not, it wasn't worthy of their stage. Wow. We got some shade going right now. You think? <laughs> um, oh, uh, well, yeah. So I want to pivot us into the last segment of the show, which is the rapid fire. Oh, no. God. But I'm old. It takes me a long time to form sentences. So you don't have to form sentences. You just okay. have to answer. Yes. Great. Um, ready? Yes. <laughs> Writing or reading? Yes. I want both. Um, mm, mm, mm. Improvising and audiobooks. Cool. So this, the whole point of this is rapid fire. So just the Do first faster. thing that comes to your mind. Yes. Great. Acting or singing? Acting. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Biking or running? Biking. Bagels or donuts? Bagels. Good. Train or plane? Train. Pants or shorts? Pants. Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Night or day? Night. Favorite dessert? Uh, the mint chocolate chip ice cream. Ooh, good one. Sugar, waffle, or bowl, or dish, or paper? <laughs> Cone? Yeah. Oh. Sugar or waffle cone and or do you like it in a... Waffle like a, cone dipped in chocolate with sprinkles on it. Ooh. Rainbow sprinkles or chocolate sprinkles? Rainbow sprinkles. Great. And sprinkles or jimmies? Sprinkles. Great. Cool. We did it. Yay. So thank you so much for being here with me, TJ. Yeah. My mom says hi. Of course. She loves you. I love your mom. Um, she made you a blanket. <laughs> um, that's how I have she it. loves you. I'm, I hope. I would yeah. hope. Um... So how can folks get in, like, if, are you on social media that folks can follow you on? I'm not familiar. What is social media? So there's this thing that connects us called social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. I don't, I've never had to describe it before. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I got, I'm, I'm on all the stuff. Cool. Um, you know, on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all those things that don't matter anymore mm-hmm. that used to be relevant, I'm on all of them. My MySpace page is killer. Can I talk about how your email address is AOL? <laughs> uh, I have an old one. <laughs> That's an old one. It's the one that I got the day I moved to New York City because that was the day the internet was invented. Yeah. And uh, I refuse to let go of it because people judge me for it and they make fun of me for it um and so i will never let go of it i don't think you should no but it i think it's very par for the course talking about sports metaphors um i don't know if golf is a sport but there we go what (laughs) what no i mean it is it's a sport but like you're gonna get so much it's gonna be a flame war all right uh so what are your handles for these social media 
pages you have? I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm literally looking up my Instagram. <laughs> okay. I, you are making me feel so old right now. Uh, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Permission. Great. Oh, consent. But I guess consent is a better word now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, don't you know all of mine? I mean, not memorized. Why not? Uh, well, do you know, do you have anybody's, uh, phone numbers memorized? I, my family's and my friend Cameron's. Mm-hmm. I used to know Dolce's, but she changed it, and then I never relearned it. I, I used to know And that's everybody's. it. I don't know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. My old house phone, we had the kids' line, was 614-237-3111. You had a kids' line? Yeah, we had the parents' line, the kids' line, and then the internet line. So the internet was this thing. Oh, so you are... Oh, I don't even know how to do this. Hold on. T.J. Oh, yeah. T.J. Mannix, M-A-N-N-I-X. Yeah, because, by the way, uh, those dots are important, and that's just like calling somebody like O'Neill and not putting in uh, an apostrophe. Yes. Or I'm sorry, what do we call that now? Do Trump calls it a dash. What is it? Oh, uh, I forget, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. I don't want to give him any, yeah. any more and, um, airtime. Than and I would also did. say if, if you, uh, on, on Facebook, I, the page that I'm really proud of is Limbo Land. Yeah. Tell us about, yeah. Do you have any upcoming shows we, sh- we should be aware I am, of? I am traveling the world. I'm having a freaking ball with it because um, uh, I do a one-man show called Limbo Land, which is a one-man completely improvised musical. It's me and a music director in four chairs. And uh, I'm using the chairs to uh, solidify each character and running back and forth between the chairs and maintaining their point of view and their voice. And I end up singing duets and quartets. Um and it's the most terrifying thing I've ever done. And I, it does require a shot of bourbon before I go on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year I've had the chance to perform in Oslo. And we sold out in Paris and San Francisco. And in the past few weeks I've been in Palm Beach and Providence. And this weekend I was in D.C. And next weekend I'm in Oklahoma City. And um, it is... Uh, it's the scariest thing I've ever done, but artistically, it's like the combination of everything I've worked on my whole life, because mm-hmm. it's 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 comedy and it's improv and it's musical, but it's also uh, just really human and it's about relationships and uh, occasionally the audience is just like in tears, and I love that. Yeah, like if they'll if they'll if they'll buy into these comedic characters and buy into the journey, and by the end, if they're in tears, then that's. We all went through that together, and that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, and the same thing. There's a Limbo Land page on YouTube and where all of my shows are, and uh, hopefully I'll continue to do it, and it's been great because it gets me around the country, and I get to travel and teach workshops, and um, I, I, it's really been fascinating to watch it evolve over, over the years and watching the different kinds of characters that will appear and... Um, more than anything, I just try to – these people show up as characters, and I have no control over it. That's what mm-hmm. I say. And uh, I just try to give them a voice and uh, let them speak their truth, whatever that is. And some of them are awful, and some of them are amazing, and some have nothing to do with me. And 
it's just a, it's a real thrill to get to have worked in all of these different areas and eventually have this thing turned into Limbo Land. So yeah, it's awesome. I've seen it. Yep. It's really great. TJ, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being I'm, my friend and my mentor. I'm honored. This is the best. Yay! I've had, I've I've listened to every version that has been published of this. Oh wow! So thanks. Uh, on the on the interwebs. I don't know what that is. <laughs> TJ, thanks for coming out. Oh my gosh, no! Thank you for coming out, and thanks for coming out. Did you just abbreviate me? Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Thank you. Love you. Mwah. Bye, people. Thank you for coming out. Hey, it's Dubs Weinblatt, your host of Thank You For Coming Out. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. Please subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps.